Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having an amazing week so far. This week's guests, yes, I said guests, plural, are Megan Connell and AJ Yeager. So Megan and AJ are a dynamic couple who are business partners, adventure partners, and life partners. They scaled their business and life by being extremely data-driven in everything they do. They figured out how to run their business remotely, automated most of their life, keep their bodies fit and healthy, stay productive, grow their relationship, all while traveling the world and growing their company 2x per year. They are the founders of Praxis Metrics, which helps companies eliminate waste and make better decisions from their data, resulting in exponential growth. So I've known AJ and Megan for a while now. We actually work with them at Java Press. And um, one thing, the reason I wanted them on the podcast isn't because to talk about data and business. More so, it was what's made me very curious about their lives is the fact that they use data to make every part of their lives better. Not just business, not just work, but health, sleep, love, intuition, you name it, travel. They've really created a life that leverages facts and data and information to create even more knowledge and wisdom. And I just love that idea because one of the things we talk about on this episode is the is the importance of radical honesty. And you know, if you can't be radically honest with yourself about where you are, you can't actually make changes to better your life. And data is one of the most feasible ways to just stop you in your tracks and show you where you are. You can't BS yourself with data. You can't BS yourself if the numbers are off, really. So looking at the data and using data as a way to keep yourself accountable is just such a beautiful process for creating truth in your life, minimizing guesswork, and just get crystal clear on everything from the foods you should eliminate to the practices you should do to create strength in your relationships, in your work, and in your life. And data isn't just for logical thinkers alone. You know, data can become a source of power that elevates your life and strengthens the way you feel about yourself and the people around you. And it can also be something that ensures you spend more time doing the things that keep you grounded. So this episode was just a great reminder for myself, and I hope it's a great reminder for you as well, to tap into the power of data, use data and apply it in, a, in an intelligent way, which we cover in spades on this episode to just better your life, improve your relationships and not be in a place where you are waiting for change and you can create the change in your life. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, join the uh, Stay Grounded Facebook group. You can go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded. Subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps. Send me a note on Instagram or in the reviews on what you thought about this episode, what you loved. And yeah, anyways, I am super excited for this episode. It's been a long time coming and I couldn't wait to dive into the minds of two brilliant individuals living life in a very, very, very fulfilling manner. So anyways, without further ado, here are my good friends, AJ Yeager and Megan Connell. 
Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everybody listening is having an awesome start, middle, or end of your week. Uh, I'm tuning in with these two lovebirds. How you guys doing, AJ and Megan? Fantastic. Wonderful. I personally love having like three people in in podcasts because one, I'm not used to it. So it's forces it just forces a whole nother level of conversation and back and forth and insights. But usually what I found is whenever one person says something, it sparks a whole nother conversation for someone else. And then that sparks a whole nother conversation for someone else. So it's like this trifecta of awesomeness. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm super excited. Well, I already introed you guys prior to this episode. So the audience knows a little bit about you, what makes you guys awesome, what you guys are working on. So I thought I would just dive into something I'm personally curious about. I think others would also be. I hope so if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. So you guys are very, very, very data-driven, not just in work, not just in the impact you want to create in the world, but in your lives as well. Was there a part in, or a time in your life where you weren't data-driven and then something happened and then you became data-driven? Or was this something that you just were born with along the way and you guys just met each other and became <laughs> a match? There's, there's going to be two stories and then there's the, the, the emergence of the two coming together. Right. So I think, I personally, I think you were way more data-driven. Oh, for sure. Yeah, at, I was born a, and a, bred. Like born with an Excel spreadsheet. In my hands, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I was bred by two computer nerds. And so, yeah, we were doing spreadsheets in elementary school to run our chores sheet, everything like that. So data was always a, a foundation of, like, I remember the first TV I ever bought when I was going off to college, I did a spreadsheet analysis where I had weighted values to determine which one was better and which one I really needed to get. So I've always been data-driven. AJ is a little bit different. He kind of developed into it. I'm more of the intuitive, more like feeling, choosing a TV. I'm, I'm not going to go do that, but I do look at the data. But I think we come, we, there's different ways and perspectives to look at life, like a data, look at anything. And so I'm just on a different way. I would, I'm good at gathering all the pieces and seeing that big picture and being like, ooh, this is what we need to go do and taking action from that. Whereas Megan is more in the data, if that makes any sense. So my early childhood was reading lots of books self-development program early inspired from my great from my grandfather who was my best friend in the whole world challenged me to read books and audio tapes every single day and write down what I learned about it to learn consistency about you know taking in information and doing something with it taking action but my dad was an engineer I basically call him a, a MacGyver he could fix anything he was a carpenter he was just like so detail oriented and could like think about things in a very unique way so I had a mother who was like social butterfly and my dad who's an engineer and I think I got somewhere in the middle which was pretty cool so I learned early on working with my dad how important data is and and what to go what to go do with it from GPS data on the farm everything he would track he literally had a huge whiteboard like this about you know six times as big as that and a massive excel chart I never told you about that one mm -hmm. he had it printed out mm -hmm. and that's how my dad thought so it was ingrained in us early but I would say you're more of a data nerd than I am. Yeah, I wanted to be a calculus teacher. So I'm, I'm way more left brain and he's way, way more yeah. right brain. But what's interesting is, you know, data, like people have probably already like tuned yeah. out. Like, cause they're like, <laughs> when people think about data, like it's just like this huge kind of stressful thing, but it's just information. And information has been around since the stone ages, right? I mean, even Plato and, you know, Aristotle, like data is just information. And the more information that you have, 
the more knowledge you can gather. And when you have more and more knowledge, it, so information turns into knowledge. And then once you have more knowledge, then it turns to wisdom, right? And so as we think about data, we think about it in every parallel of life. Like data is not just numbers, ones and zeros in business. It also applies to our personal life. It also applies to travel. It applies to our spirituality because it's just this journey of turning raw individual learnings, discerning that into patterns, discerning that into then a knowledge of principles and a knowledge of why things happen and, and how they happen rather than just what happens. And right? sparking, sparking the ability to learn how to ask questions and then from that question, open up a new series of questions and really become more, a little more scientific about it. I want to speak to those people who are out there that are, you know, may have failed math class, don't consider themselves good at math at all. They're more on the English side and the art side. That's fine. If I can be data-driven, you can be data-driven. I'm not like a calculus teacher. I didn't do as great in, in math, and that's okay. I don't see myself as a data scientist. So all of us have a way of taking in information. It's about learning how to ask questions around it and take action on it because data is not going anywhere. Yeah, We're going to so, be even more in, yeah. numbered by it. So just to tie this into an actual like real-life example, right? When it comes to how we're data-driven in our lives. And I think our relationship is probably the most esoteric thing that people think they're like, how do you quantify your relationship and how do you use data to make your relationship better? Cause it sounds very right. non-feeling. <laughs> so, Would you like to learn that? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I want to dive into to those specific examples in a second, but a really interesting observation you. So what I love about the way you guys describe data is really it's, it's awareness. It's, it's, I mean, even Data about yourself, in another word, is just self-awareness, right? Like you, it's you taking ownership or being radically honest because the data doesn't lie, right? Your results don't lie. Your track records don't lie. So when you put that stuff in front of you, you're essentially being radically honest with yourself. And now you have the power and the privilege of changing things so that the data can improve. It's, it's interesting. I, I love the... And I think you're right. I mean, this can... Like self-awareness is the key to everybody's happiness and fulfillment in life, right? Like your formula for life is not going to necessarily be exactly mine, but that's by design. We're all meant to create our own formulas, look at the data in our own lenses, and then take it to the next level. I want to just dive in a, a bit on, I guess, the spirituality standpoint. Because to me, spirituality has a lot of intuition guiding it. Like you feel something and to me, that doesn't necessarily always align with like something you see in front of you, like mm -hmm. numbers. So how do you balance hard data, which is in front of you with like something as esoteric as spirituality and intuition and kind of maybe following gut when it doesn't always align one-to-one? -one? I'm going to let Megan take this one because she's got a great example right along that. Yeah. So I've always been a very left brain person. So for me, when you say intuition, I have this natural kind of, not aversion, but intuition historically for me was very difficult to understand. So we were actually at an event with our hypnotherapist. He had this event and we went there and I met this incredible person who within three minutes of meeting him, I had literally pulled out my voice recorder and, and recorded what he was saying because it, it changed my world instantly. It was a watershed moment because he was like, oh, who are you guys? And we were introducing ourselves and and somehow I was like, oh, that's AJ. That's AJ. He's more intuitive yeah. and I'm more logical. And he said, what makes you think that those are two different things? 
And I was like, well, I mean, it's like they're polar ends of the spectrum. Like feeling is intuition. You just know it's just this, this deep intuitive feeling like that. And duh, like they, that's how everybody describes it. And then thinking is logical. Thinking is stringing together one plus two plus like it's, it's in a linear line. But whereas with I, when, when AJ goes through his creative process, like when he does that, I feel like he's just like plucking things out of the ether. And it's so random because he'll just go on these, you know, like weird things and somehow it's connected in his mind, but on mine, I don't see it logically. And so I just always had this definitive definition of the two things as being very different. And this man, Fedor Holtz, amazing. He's only 25 years old. One of the best poker players in the world. Yeah, just so wise beyond his years. Like we talked about data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Like he is wise as such a young man. And he said to me, he said, those are not two different things. Intuition is the understanding of things subconsciously. So let's say that, and 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 this is probably going to botch this. This I'm trying to give an example. Like, let's say that you're walking down the street and you see somebody, and all of a sudden you have this intuitive feeling that you don't trust them, or something's off about them, or you meet somebody, right? And you shake their hand and you're like, "Ooh, I get this intuitive feeling that there's something off here." And then later something comes up and you're like, "I knew it. I knew that." And intuition is not just a feeling what it is is that your subconscious is always processing information every day we're getting 64 billion bits of information that is going into our subconscious and your conscious has to filter distort and delete this information so that you you aren't you aren't like over processing right but the subconscious stores it all it sees it all it's all being stored inside of us in every fiber of our being we've got these neurotransmitters neurotransmitters that hold all of this information So consciously, we can't string together all of these things that made us think, I don't trust that person. But it's all of this history, these years and years of experience that we've learned from that have been stored within us. And our unconscious mind is putting it all together, stringing it all together into this strand of information and knowledge saying, this is not a trustworthy person and you need to be careful. And so we get these feelings, these gut feelings, and we don't know why. We don't know the, the logic that strung it all together, the little pieces, but we get the, the feeling. And the feeling is simply our subconscious coming to the conscious and saying, I don't have to explain myself to you, but you need to not trust that person. And that's it. And so people who trust their subconscious or the spirituality, right, when they, when they get these, these downloads, it's all just information that we're not able to logically put together. Does that make sense? Everybody's data-driven in that way. It makes sense. I I do want to ask, though, sometimes our subconscious is rooted in pasts that don't serve anymore either. Like if I had an experience with somebody in the past or when I was a child, right? Like I had this conscious understanding that this type of person is bad. And if I bring that forward into every single relationship in my life, I feel like I'm almost repeating patterns. So how do you take data that's there's all this data that's back here that you're not even consciously seeing and decipher between what's useful for you right now and what was something that just kept you alive in the moment? Like, do you kind of hear what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense in a way? For sure. I mean, because you have to think about it, especially when we're young. I mean, we get programmed so easily when we're young, those formative, like from zero to seven, it's just such an impressionable period that we, we absorb so much and then we believe all of that to be true. And we do have to reprogram ourselves because, and you think about it in data, it's skewed. 
We have a very, very, very small framework. And so everything that we're exposed to becomes truth. And we have to, or, and then we believe that. And then we, we create these patterns. We create these subconscious um, strategies to protect ourselves, to, you know, to keep us happy, to keep us safe. And all of those are based off of this limited knowledge that we have as a child. So it's, it's really exposing yourself to the opportunity to be reprogrammed because the more exposure that you have, it's just more data and it, and it normalizes, right? And then you can learn from new experiences and it can outweigh your historical ones when there's so many that they stack up, they outweigh the old one because it's like, oh, that's not true. Like I came from a very, very, very strong religious background, which also brought with it lots and lots of guilt and lots wow. of lots of programming that took a good 15 years to deconstruct and, and reprogram. And, and it was a painful time period because there was so many truths that I thought were truths that I had to let go of and that like, yeah. I had to, that had to die. And, and it's very difficult to reprogram, but just exposure to the world, like going and traveling, going, put, putting yourself in new situations, exposing yourself to different religions, different people, different beliefs. It just gives you more availability to data that then outweighs whatever experiences you have. You guys are uniquely qualified to answer this question just because of how intentional and data-driven you are in every aspect of life. When you become aware of these subconscious sort of patterns that are showing up and then you travel, how do you know which data points or when you maybe, maybe it's with your health or travel or whatever, like how do you know which data points to pay attention to that are most important for you? Because I feel like every person is going to have a set of data points that are unique to their own past, their own biochemistry, their own physiology, their own beliefs, their own upbringings. And it is a kind of like a bit of a daunting journey to figure out what the hell I need to pay attention to. So how do you guys sift through the bullshit, for lack of a better word, and find which data points are most meaningful for your lives? And how would you suggest someone else find the data points that they need to be paying attention to so that their lives can improve systematically as well. Mm. Awesome. Awesome question. Well, in business, we call it metrics mapping. Yeah, we call it metrics mapping. But I think that there's a few things that came up for me. One is going to be understanding your values. So at a foundational level, who we are, there's, I'm going to kind of gloss over mine just so I can present them. So you're understanding your values, also understanding your own data. What makes up you? Genetic data, your blood work, basic elements that we have access to that typically our general doctors aren't actually giving us the whole story. So there's, there, that's a little separate conversation, but like understanding who you are at a molecular biological level is a great place to start, right? Because people say, oh, well, oh, gosh, I got I to quit coffee. I got to stop this week. I, I got to give myself a reset. Like you just hear people say that you shouldn't have too much coffee. What if your body can process that really well? There's things that we can learn, those data points that can give us that like baseline where we're like, we know this is truth. We have the source of truth of who we are. From there, then you can disseminate, distort, or delete the data that's coming in. You say, no, no, I don't need that. That's just marketing. I don't need to be keto. I need to be this. I need to have this much because now I know my data. So I think values is a really big part of it. And then also just knowing your found fundamental data points. Those are what came up for me. And to build on that. So, you know, the way that we see it and we have a very specific process in business that, that we walk through and it's the exact same process that we walk through in our personal lives. Because if you think about, you know, just a, a chart on the vertical axis, we've got your values, right? 
obviously the higher up your values, um, the, the more valuable it is to you to know, right? Um, and then you think about the horizontal axis. And if you think about that as like, like we call it feasibility, like how, how much access do you have to get this data? So let's just talk about, for example, health. Because I think health mm-hmm. is like yeah. the easiest thing to think about with data. If I want to lose weight, like I know that I am overweight and I need to get skinnier, then there are several data points around that. Okay. So your weight on the scale, your actual body fat percentage, that your pant size, that, you know, how you look in the mirror, right? There are like other people's feedback, other people's feedback. There's all of these different data points around that. Right. And so when you're looking at, oh, there's so much, there's so much you can track. Like, do you have to track all of the meals that you eat? Do you have to track all of this stuff? Do you have to get your wearables. blood work done? Do you have to do the wearables? Do you have to wear all the sensors, right? We basically map it out and we say, okay, so how valuable is it to you? And how possible is it? How feasible? How easy is it to get? Stepping on a scale is extremely easy. Yeah. But it's not as valuable because if you are like super muscular, the scale will tell a different story, right? And so you don't know if you're losing fat or if you're losing muscle. Right. So that's not as valuable to you versus like knowing your body fat percentage. It's easy to get or it's a little less feasible because there aren't a lot of things that are accurate when it comes to body fat percentage measurement. So it's a little less feasible, but it's way more valuable. Right. It's way more accurate. And it really helps answer the big question, which is you don't want to lose weight. You actually what's valuable to you is getting healthier, living a longer life, being more productive being happier. All of these things are more valuable to you. So losing body fat percentage is a secondary thing. It's a stepping stone to get to something that's way more important to you. And so if you could have an accurate measurement, going and getting a DEXA scan or doing the the pods or whatever it is would be way more valuable to you than stepping on the scale every day. There's so many different things you could do, but what should you do is simply determined by how valuable it is and how how feasible it is. Does that make sense? It does. So it sounds like knowing what's most important to you is the first step in all of this. Yes. Asking the right question. So how does one get better at asking the right questions or even know? Because asking, I, I completely agree. One of the biggest reasons why I even you know, love the podcast and, and how it's been growing is because I get to practice my ability to ask questions. That's one of my favorite things to do. And and it's forced me to ask better questions of myself because now you guys have sparked a whole world of insights (laughs) that now I need to go back and sit down and download and map out, right? Like it's that process that's created, but it's been over time. So somebody who may feel like it's daunting to ask big questions without... Because I feel like big questions like, what do I want out of my life require... Subconsciously, I'm thinking it requires big answers. And maybe there's, maybe there's a middle ground. Like, how can we start asking questions that can lead us towards a better life without feeling overwhelmed with the responsibility that comes from asking bigger questions? I think part of ours is like assessing where you are right now. Because okay. here we are in the present moment, right? There's, there's a historical data, but there's also like who we are right now. What Meg and I do every single year, actually pretty much every quarter, we do, you can call it the wheel of life, whatever. We look at our different areas of our life, relationship, finance business, you know, health, like we, 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 we rate them. So we are tracking our own data right now. Like how, how are we doing right now? Like right now we're in London, we're traveling, we're meeting other people. But when that happens, our friends 
don't we don't get to see our friends as gone as much because we're gone for yeah, like our 60 fun days. Field goes up. Fun goes up. Friend but those relationships are like, oh, we missed our friends. We're not able to, to see them and, and, and we're off doing all this adventure stuff. So there's this give and take. So we always re-rate and track where are we right now? Are we happy with that? So if we're at a nine out of ten on these, we're like, all right, we're good. But if we see, oh yeah, honestly, we're we need to work on some of these areas. Yeah. Okay, so so that's great. And we kind of look historically, yeah, we've been up and down over here. Like, what do we want to do here? So I think it's really an assessment or an audit of just where you are, where you're spending your time, energy, and money is one of the best ways to get a foundational look before you start going forward. Just look at where you are now. Time, energy, money. Those are the resources we have. Yeah, because so like on your on your note, like it is it is hard because a lot of times when we start asking these questions, then you get into these big like these huge huge questions that are like, oh, for what higher purpose? And then it's like you get so chunked up. Then it's like, well, how do I take action in the now? How do I how do I bring that back down to how I can improve just right here? And that's what AJ is saying is like, you know, you, you have to know the why, right? Because it drives everything. You have to chunk up into, you know, what is the higher purpose? But then you also have to chunk down. And an easy way to do that without complicating everything and without making it so overwhelming is just like simple, like happiness scales. Like how happy am I am right now in this area? How happy am I over here on a scale of one to 10? You know, and it's just like, and then we can adjust and balance and take action from that to be better, yep. to just, you know, in the now. And it's very, very small adjustments that make a huge impact. And then the inverse of that is look at the pain. Where are you hurting? Where is the pain mm. in your life in you each of those areas? So you do yeah. the happiness side and then you go like, and this comes back to awareness. It comes back to like, am I being honest with myself about mm. each of these areas? Okay, I can say I'm happy over here, but like, what am I really, what, what's been coming up consistently that I'm not performing well at my job or, you know, the people keep saying these things about me and like, maybe that's, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. What's the pain? What are you specifically like dealing with there? And part of this is, you know, educating yourself on books, like letting go and figuring out how to like deal with emotions and things that are like there, but like unconscious, you just kind of repress it. How do we get those things up? There's coaches out there. There's books out there to help bring that stuff up. But I think it's, it's, it's constantly a journey to, to understand how to be more self-aware. So everybody's at a different, different level. But I think that's a great way to assess, to start asking those questions and digging in. And that means turning off the phone, turning off the TV, getting rid of all the input coming in and just be with yourself. Meditation, journaling, asking friends, their, their close friends, their, their opinions, and just being with yourself for a little bit before you go make any new goals or any big decisions. Why do you think it's so hard for people to be honest with themselves? It hurts. Actually, it's something that we say all the time in, in, in business. It's, and you said it earlier, data never lies. Data just tells a story that you may not want to hear. And when you get that data from other people or other inputs and it hurts, a lot of people are just like, nope, they don't want to do the work. The real work kind of sucks sometimes. You cry, you get mad, you get angry, go through all the guilt and shame and all that stuff. And what I learned through a, through a couple of my really great mentors and coaches was that I used to think anger guilt, shame, all of those things are just are bad emotions. And I, I, I think we're taught this, especially as guys, emotion, being emotional is bad. But like once I learned that, no, each of these aren't bad or good, they're a gift. Each of these are a gift. It's simply an emotional, emotional response that comes up. And it's like, well, the anger gift doesn't mean I'm a raging bad person. It just means anger's come up. I need to look okay. Okay, sit with us. Why am I angry? What's going on here? Why, why do you think I'm really feeling that, AJ? And then kind of dissect it. 
Um, but it's a gift to, to help me figure out something else to go to go up to joy and happiness. There's these kind of these different scales of the emotions. So I went off on a little tangent there, but that, that's oh, helped me is understand. And for me, I think it's going back to the original question, which is like, why is it so difficult for us to, you know, sit with that truth? I think uh, one thing that I think for me, it's that, you know, there, there's the version of ourselves in our mind, which is not the true version. There's yeah. a version of us in everyone. Like you, Raj, have a different version of me than AJ does, right? Every person I've ever interacted with has a different version of me, including my version of me. This is not real. Like the way I define myself is not real. And I think I had a big paradigm shift when a mentor of mine, you know, called me out one day and, and was just like, you have no integrity. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> like, I am a good person. Like, I give to charities. I am this, 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 and this. And I define myself in these certain ways. And he was like, no. So integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when nobody else is around. Which means, you know, when you set personal goals that you didn't share with anyone, do you always achieve them? Do you hold yourself accountable? Do you do what you say you're going to do when nobody else is looking? And a good way to measure that is to, like AJ said, do an audit of who like who you are right now and so that's what he challenged me he said you know i want you to see because you're basically you know the 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 you that you present in reality is basically a summation of where you spend your time and your money right and so he's like so go look and see where you spent your time and your money just over the last two weeks because that's who you are right now and i have defined myself by all of these things that i had done in the past like i mean like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, right? And I was holding on to these definitions of myself that had absolutely no truth into how I was living in the now. And so I realized, hey, I don't give to charities. I'm not volunteering anymore. So how can I say I'm a charitable person when I'm not doing those things? So, okay, that's not who I am. And and then doing an audit of my time, like I literally every 15 minutes wrote down what I did the last 15 minutes in both personal and, and business life. And what I realized is at that time, I was a couch potato. I was a Netflix hog. Like I would watch, you know, I would, I would get done with work. I'd start cooking dinner. I put on Netflix and it would go from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. So four hours a day, times seven days a week. And on the weekends, maybe even longer. You know, that's a part-time job at that point. You know, and so I started to look at my time and my money and where I spent it. And I was like, wow, kind of an alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm kind of a, like, I was a really good friend. I'd driven like three people to the airport and two to the doctors in two weeks. <laughs> you know, I was a really good friend. I'm kind of an alcoholic and kind of a couch potato. And that was about it, you know? And it was really ugly to see that version of myself. It was really jarring to, to just kind of have this juxtaposition of who I define myself to myself and who I was showing up to be in reality. Yeah. And so like AJ said, it is, it's a, it's a big, scary thing to look in the mirror and not see what you thought you were going to see. It's jarring. And, you know, coming back to even business, like, you know, when you look at data, I think most business owners, including myself at times, don't want to pay attention to the numbers that are really moving things forward. I want to pay attention to the numbers that either feed an ego or make me feel better about myself and my role and what I see myself being as a, as a boss, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, whatever version or identity, I'm, whatever hat I'm wearing at that moment, I want to look at numbers that reinforce my own belief in myself. Sure. And it's the story that I continue playing. I want to talk about the different areas of life. So there's obviously there's business you guys are looking and you, you, you 
actually have an entire company around this where you help people find more truth in their data. But what other areas of, of life are you guys actively looking to optimize? Just to give anybody who maybe has never optimized any part of their lives to show them kind of what is possible. Here's a great one. We're going to go back around to how do you quantify love? How can you be data-driven in your love life? So we, we met personally, and then we built, ended up building a company together. So we are around each other all the time, love each other. We're getting married next year, but we're also business partners. You know, she's CEO, I'm chief growth officer. We're partners in life and business and adventures and all that. So there's something there, but, but when we want to continue growing our love for each other and growing our relationship, that's really important to both of us. So we don't want to like, I'm, I'm terrified of stagnation. Like we're, we're constantly trying to, you know, become the best version of ourselves, both independently, but then also together because they're like his growth and his development is wonderful for him, but that could also grow him away from me. Right. And so that's not, that's not a path that we choose to go down. So how do we both independently grow ourselves and also grow together as a partnership? Right. And that's a very unique balance and it's a very delicate and finite thing that you have to really be conscious about, um, especially with balancing the work life as well. So one of the things that we've done is, you know, we've, we've tried to collect as much data on our relationship as possible, right? And you think about the information you have about your relationships. And, you know, one of the big things that we realized very early on is, you know, there's a couple main reasons that that couples go away from each other. Like number one is that they, you know, grow apart. Number two is, you know, money. And number three is like, you know, their, their sex life or whatever isn't strong. And so we wanted to collect data around each of those so that we could make sure that we were eliminating the opportunity for that to happen. And one of the biggest things is, you know, us growing apart was understanding our love languages. So love languages, we love. Wonderful book. Everybody should read that. Very important. Well, we took it, we took it a number of steps further to quantify that and really apply it and take action on our life. Yeah. So AJ's love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. My man. Nice. My man. That's why we hug each other every time we see each man. other. My man. Like, people don't get it. Like, they're like, I, I mean, I'm a bear hug on site kind of human being. Like, I don't shake hands. I go straight in for the kill. And most people don't get it. But it's just my it's way of telling you that I really like you. Yeah, like it's, it is. If you get a hug from me, that means that I just you're really in. Like, you're yeah. in. Yeah. So, so physical touch, and then uh, words of affirmation, and then Megan is acts of service and quality time tends to be starting to actually come into becoming uh, a, a little bit of a gifts. little bit of gifts actually, yeah. which she was not about I was before. An awkward gift receiver. I was like, hey, what do I do? Yeah, it was so so funny. So so early in the relationship, we're studying, we're learning. We, we AJ, took real quick before yeah. you dive in. For anybody who doesn't know what a love language is, can you just describe it real quick? Yeah, love language based on a book that was a best selling book. There's five love languages: acts of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, and gifts. Five. So so this guy identified that there's these love languages. Now, what I just said is that I like to receive. Physical touch and words of affirmation. And because when I give true. him those things, that's how he feels love. So like, imagine an iPhone battery, right? Or a bank account. Those are creating deposits every single day that fill up my battery or my bank account. That feels great. But what we need to take in consideration here is those are mine, what I like to receive. Where people get it wrong is that they're like, well, 
I love those. So I'm going to give those to, to her. Mm. And those are my least favorite, right? <laughs> Literally her least favorite. And we're, we're going to get into that, but that, this is about to start determining how you receive and how each of us receives and how you need to shift your mindset to give. So those two aren't my necessarily my most strongest, but that's what she needs more of. So I, I have to understand this is what I want. This is what she wants. It's just a great paradigm shift in yeah. relationships. Just, just with that part. So does that help explain that? Yeah, yeah, super, super helpful. Yeah. And sometimes, just as a note, sometimes the ones that you receive and that make you feel love are not the ones that you give to to show love, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I really love acts of service and, and quality time, I love giving gifts. Like that's that's something that I really enjoy doing. I love giving them. Not as great at, at receiving them, but I honestly love to to give that person that, you know, event or the, the presence or just see them light up. And it makes me feel good that I gave them love that way. But if they don't like receiving love that way, then it's totally different. And so it's shifting your actions to align with the behavior, right? So our, our story continues in that we've been together about four and a half, almost five years. And we've had like three fights, like not even really fights. We just Bullshit. don't fight. No, seriously. Honestly, like, it's they, three it's fights. Like it's three fights. That's it. And they um, were over. They were all kind over of the, the same exact thing. same thing, having the same conversation, like almost like a repetitive thing. It's like word for word. And it came up three different times in very different periods of our relationship. And each time I am <laughs> this is my problem. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> like, so he would feel a certain way, and I'd be like, those are your feelings. You need to go fix them. You feel this way. You have some internal work to do. That's all on you. And almost like <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> you need to work on your own. Some emotions. people may be able to relate with this. Like we, we do that. Right? And, and after three times, we had actually, we are, we're always working on our relationship. And we have a podcast where we go and interview power couples so that we can understand their dynamics and what they do, what actions they take to make their relationship stronger. And we were interviewing um, an awesome power couple. And literally in this episode, I was like, oh my gosh, it was my fault. (laughs) And what they had uncovered is we tracked all of our like like kind of deposits, right? Over time. And so it's like anytime he'd give me physical touch or words of affirmations or vice versa, like we track it. And what we'd never done is correlated the three fights with how well we were doing with each other's love languages. And what I found was that, you know, in the, in the six weeks prior to these fights, I had been really, really, really bad at giving him the love that he needed to feel secure and safe in our relationship. So by me not depositing every single day, yeah, his, his bank down. account, his, you know, it, it just was drained. And so when we would get into certain situations, he would already be at a very low balance or negative even where he would be insecure in our relationship. He'd be unsure about my love for him, even though I was very sure he would be scared. And so he would react a certain way and I would be disgusted and I'd be like, oh, this, this character I don't like. And, and I had no idea that it was the six weeks of withdrawals that caused that negative balance to come up. And then I was getting this late fee basically, or this overdrawn yeah, fee, yeah. Like, where, and I was like, oh, I don't like these fees, but I didn't realize that I was the one who caused them. Yeah. Right. So because we had the tracking out, we were able to correlate and say, these three fights were caused by actually something that was completely unrelated to that one incident. It was caused by my six weeks. So 
we had to take action from that, right? Okay, because so we identified a new outcome we wanted to have. We tracked the interactions that could help us tell that story in a new way. And then, and this is what I love. This is taking action on that new data. Megan did something very simple, but is very, very powerful. She went on her phone, iPhone, free app, alarm. Turn on an alarm at 3.33 every day, touch AJ, give him physical touch. Another alarm, give AJ uh, words of affirmation. So that every single day, that would pop up, remind her on a blaring alarm, that needs to happen. Now in our house in Austin, you've been, you've been over, I think, we have three levels. I'm at the top. I don't care if I heard the alarm. I know what's coming. I know that I'm going to get my fill of love. And it's fine because I love the fact that she took action on that. So as a relationship, it's that respect and love of like, she took the time, even though it's something simple, to take action on what she found, as opposed to just keep blaming and blaming and blaming. And that's where couples just don't get it. Like It takes a little bit of that insight and that awareness internally to help fix some things that are just basic things. So that was our journey. And that was how we quantified this love and this action to have a better relationship. And she's got these alarms. Before we had to come on here, we make sure all of our alarms are off. So she went and turned them off. She's definitely going to go turn them on. Her. Yeah, I'm going to go this. turn them back on because it's just not, it's, yeah. it's, to me, it feels extremely contrived for me to go and give him physical touch or words of affirmation. I feel fake. I feel like a fraud, like, like saying these things, you know, just to make him feel good. Even though I feel it, deep inside, I, for some reason, and I probably need to work on my you know, throat chakra, but <laughs> it's very hard for me to express things like that. And so for me, setting these alarms, it's like, I'm putting in the effort and, and I'll come and I'll be like, you know, you look great today. I really appreciated this, you know, yeah, I got it. And for me, I feel, I feel like it, it still feels awkward. Even after, even after being habitualized to do it, I still feel awkward. It's not my natural state. It's not my natural love language, but our relationship is so important to me that I will overcome that to do that for him. And I think that the data never lies. It tells us the story, right? The, the key is taking action from it. Because if I just knew, oh, well, he likes these things. And if I don't give it to him, then we get in fights and that could turn into us breaking up. If I didn't take action from it, then that would be, you know, basically the end of our relationship. <laughs> and so by tracking this consistently does that, does that help you- this is great man i cool. i both of you all are amazing i i really appreciate i think i mentioned this in the beginning but what i love most about both of you and why i think you guys are so qualified to even like share these perspectives is because of how you essentially are like the common denominator in everything so whether it's business or relationship i mean you guys are business partners you guys are life partners like you see how the same patterns that make you a great partner also might make you a terrible employee or entrepreneur or whatever, right? Like you kind of see the juxtaposition of all of it and you're constantly finding the common ground so that you can improve over time. And I love that. And I, I think it's brilliant. And I guess I had a question just on coming, because I want to come back to business and talk about praxis. I mean, I want to make sure we get some time there because do you feel like my love language bleeds into my business and the numbers I want to look at? Or like, is there like, do you think I have like a way that I want to feel in business that stops me from being honest with what I'm supposed to do or what's going to drive the needle forward? Like just with your own experience working with entrepreneurs, do you feel like there are certain patterns that come up with the way that they think about their business and their numbers? That is a really, really good question. I mean, I mean, one thing that we always say consistently is how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yep. Right. You know, how you make the bed 
like the, the, the details correlate into other aspects, right? And so I do believe that. But what it, it is also interesting is because we love data so much, we've taken probably 100 behavioral and, and um, personality mm-hmm. assessments. And there are distinctions between how you show up in business and how you can show up in personal life. For example, I feel very awkward receiving words of affirmation in a relationship, but I am the biggest teacher's pet in business. Like, I just want my mentors and the people I look up to, to, you know, give me that round of applause. I love the A+. I love the recognition that comes from being good at something. But then it, it hasn't necessarily come into my relationship. So I do think that there, that there are some distinctions that show up in different areas of life. But I do think that there are some correlations, too, because how I do one thing does impact everything in our, in our life. Yeah, I think that's great insight on your side. You're, you're so aware, and I love that. Yeah, I think as entrepreneurs, we naturally, we're here to grow a company. We're, we're also, especially in America, like we're like driven to build this thing as fast as we can. And you want to see the metrics that are good, that your team is good. Like, so when the negative ones come in, it tells a story you may not want to hear. And so part of your mind might turn off and be like, oh, well, uh, that's going to be too expensive. It's going to be this and then that instead of like, shut off the emotion and just look at the data and let's, let's, let's dig into that data. So um, it's probably easy, harder to, to do because there's emotions tied into it. And there's also, like we talked about programming, there's a strategy that you may be, you or other entrepreneurs may be um, uh, doing in your, in your life, in your business and around your data that could be affecting that and you not see it. So I think that takes great team members, great mentors, and, and a really good coach to help you see this, the, some to call the shadow side or yep. the other side that, that you're not, that's unconscious and could be sabotaging, right? I think it comes back to the, the NLP stuff we're talking about, neurolinguistic programming, and just unconsciously where you might be sabotaging yourself. I think that's what it comes back to. But you know, what's interesting is as we were just walking through this, I'm, I'm looking at kind of my views in business. And I think they do kind of correlate with love languages as well, because, you know, quality time is extremely important to me. Um, and it's hilarious because I end up working all the freaking time. <laughs> like, like I, if I was in a relationship with my business, uh, they'd call me a stalker. Like I am so committed. It's like, it, it does not turn off. And like I have in business, we've had this conversation because AJ does not he does not believe that you have to spend every waking second on the business in order for it to grow. And I'm like, well, if you want it to grow, how is it going to grow if you're not spending time on it? Right. And so I do actually, now that you're saying that, I wonder if that's, I mean, it is a direct correlation. I spend way more time on the business. And then I also devalue employees or team members because I'm like, well, you only work 30 hours this week. So clearly oh, yeah. you don't care. Right. So I do, I, I I'm, I'm curious. If, let's see, yours is physical touch, which we run a, a remote business, so we can't, we, we have no data on that. But you do like to do the screen time a lot more than I do. I love people. Love I, I want to interact. I want to see the people. I want to see their expressions. I want to, I want to know how they're feeling, how they're doing, how they're performing, what's going on in their mm. life. My metrics are more of like kinesthetic, auditory, visual that I want to get from the team. So mine's more on the people aspect. I, there's data points around that too, but it's like, I want to make sure that when we say we want to go do something, we're all headed in that same direction. So I think you'd be more motivated in business towards KPIs like, hey, did we get the top 10 business in, in this category? Or, you know, like more of like, 
you know, words of affirmation. Like mm-hmm. you want, you want to be able to be known. You're very driven by the reputation of the company and you want every, and you're very motivated to get every single client to be happy, like a raving fan. Yeah. You really care about that. So that is interesting. So he naturally tends towards in the business to take on these things that associate with, with his love languages too. This and is- I'll definitely agree. Like mm-hmm. even self-awareness wise, I'll forget about metrics I should be looking at or other mm-hmm. things, even as a, an owner of a data company. It's like, there's something there that might be an interesting yeah, thing to dig into. Maybe with a panel to, or yeah, something. we might have to go on another rabbit hole yeah. we, uh, or something, but guys, no, this is, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go in the beginning. I think we were talking about like which angle we were going to go down, but uh, I'm really glad it went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we're very uh, good at that. <laughs> I, I learned so much. And I mean, I've been working with you guys for a while. And I know, and I've seen, you know, when we first started working together, it was, you know, mostly just on getting our numbers right to figure out what we needed to do to move the needle forward in the fastest way. And over time, as I got to know both of you, I started realizing that that wasn't just something you were teaching, selling, providing as a service. That was something you were practicing and actively implementing in every part of your life. And I just love the fact that you guys practice what you preach. I love what both of you stand for. I love both of you. And I'm just so grateful that you guys took the time to kind of peek behind the curtain to show all of us how we can use data to live a more rich and fulfilling life. So I just want to thank you guys. That means a lot to us. It really does. We love you too. We love seeing you continue to do this, all your media appearances. Like thank you for the opportunity to to help you out, to, to just connect further. And, and hopefully we said some things that, that helps some people out there. Yeah. And guys, we will make all of the links to reach AJ and Megan available in the show notes. Um, if you guys want more data-driven approaches to growing your company, I highly recommend just getting on a, just sending them an email or even calling them or just chatting with them. They, they're a wealth of knowledge if you haven't already uh, realized. If you're listening this far into the episode, you've, <laughs> you're gripping to something. And I promise you, it gets better. So guys, I have one last question for you. In the midst of everything you guys are doing, the way you're growing and where you're going, how do you stay grounded? Uh, how do we stay grounded individually or together? Individually. Individually. Yeah. So AJ and I are very different humans. So we have very different daily practices and routines. For AJ, he's more of a daily grounded person. Right. I start the day. I start the the day with gratitude. Like literally, when I wake up, I'm going over the things I'm super grateful for, and I love to journal and I love to meditate. I love to own my morning to like do that. I don't like jumping right into email and all that. Like my groundedness is when I get to have a little bit of meditation time, a little bit of journaling time, the gratitude in there, and like maybe reading or listening to a podcast or something just to get that mind warmed up. Yeah. Plus some water like some water and like, I'm not even, I intermittent fast till about 11. So I don't even have coffee till later on. But I'm like, if I can do that, I'm the grounded AJ. When I don't, there is a significant data-driven difference. I think it's about a 30 to 40% performance drop when I don't own my morning and when I don't get grounded. And for me, I'm polar opposite. I, I'm more of a pendulum swing is what we kind of refer to it as. I go really, really, really hard into business because I believe um, in kind of the, like the reap what you sow. I believe in putting the quality time into the business. And so what I do is I go into these deep, deep months of focus 
and and I I really give everything to my business or to whatever it is that I'm focused on. And then the pendulum swings back the other way. And for me, travel. Travel is how I stay grounded. It is my therapy. It is my passion. It is everything. It is a, It allows me to be grateful. It allows me to really live in the moment. It allows me to open up my horizons and experience new things. So for me, it's, some, it's something that we schedule in, right? So every year we spend a lot of time on the road. And that's because that's something that I need in order to stay grounded. And it's, it's different for different people, but AJ has been really supportive in that. And so we, we, we literally do 90 day stints about, you know, twice a year at least. And then throughout the year, and, it's then, like, and they're not vacations either. They're we're like working, working remote. remote. We're, we're still running and growing our business, but we're, we don't want to postpone life at the end of our life or, or, or like vacations and stuff. Like we want to live now and we adventure now. We're adventure partners first. So I think adventure, travel, and then what I, what I talked about, but like, our commonality is the travel and the adventuring. Like newness, new people, new adventures. Let's go conquer this thing or let's go hang on that amazing beach. Uh, and there's this whole world we get to explore. So for us, that's that commonality. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, guys, again, I am like massive fans in many ways. So again, thank you both for being here. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you enjoyed this beautiful conversation from just two incredible people so i'm raj these are your new friends aj and megan and from us stay grounded we'll chat soon thanks for joining us today on this episode of stay grounded i hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life for more resources and support please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official stay grounded facebook group place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.